Blog Talk Radio. Executive producer Lois Wetzel coming to you live this morning from Houston, Texas at 9 a.m. Central Time. I want to remind you register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. My call in number is 347 945 5309. So you can call in and uh, you can listen to it on your phone, and if you have a question, hit the number one, then I'll know you want to be asked a question. Um, I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics and spirituality, and I don't ever share your address with anyone. And if you want that free newsletter, go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. We've got a wonderful show for you today. I'm interviewing Sky Peterson again. Um, who rarely gives interviews, but she's agreed to speak with me last April and again um, today. And she's lived on an Indian reservation for the last 30 years and practices shamanism. She's been contacted by a consciousness that seems to be related to the ancient Mayans. Part of that experience has uh, been her learning and teaching a language of light from them, and it also has to do with seeing orbs and capturing them on film. And Sky believes that orbs are a path to ascension. Her blog and her photos of orbs are just fascinating. And here's what Sky has to say about her work. I'm a celestial light carrier. Since 1994, I've been communicating with a consciousness that incorporates the classic Sulkin Mayan calendar as an ascension pathway. Pathway, sorry, pathway. And so with no further ado, we are going to talk with Sky. Hello. Good morning, Lois. Anything you want to say about my introduction? Was it okay? It was awesome. Cool. So tell us, what what is um, a language of light? Can you articulate that a little bit so that more people can understand it? Because that's a hard concept. When I first began realizing that I was bringing through what could be termed a language of light, I had no idea what it was either. It's still a little difficult to describe, but in hindsight, which um, through this whole 16-year process, hindsight has always been my teacher, um, I began to realize there was something really different about these words when I would begin to do some healing work on somebody And we all have our techniques that we go through, um, processes. Um, At one point, uh, one of the recent words that had came through just kept going through my mind. And before I knew it, what used to take an hour to accomplish was done in a matter of minutes. So then I began to understand that... um, this particular light language, and I can't speak for the others because I don't have experience with them, but this particular light language is a type of a shamanic healing language that works dimensionally. And when I say dimensionally, I'm encompassing uh, parallel lives, future lives, past lives, and how they all tie into here. With that component... Also, at the same time, I became aware that we were facilitating planetary healing. And so the the path all these years as, has pretty much um, built on that foundation. And I, and I have to say that the planetary end of it has gotten really intense, um, when but I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it, it gets intense. And um, while I knew we were working with a planet, I didn't realize all of the avenues we were encompassing. Um, and so recently, I would say this was maybe three months ago, I had some heavy, heavy energies come over me, and I couldn't source point them. And so... 
One other thing that has happened in this process um, many years ago, they said that um, all the work that we did with the, we call them the words when we talk about this light language, they said that the whole dynamic of the words was going to evolve itself into breath work. And at that time, I knew what breath work was. I, I'd had some experience with it, and my stance has always been, we'll see. <laughs> so, and so it has been. And so how we work with this now is, um, I, ha- I have to say that we don't use the language much anymore because we have assimilated it, which means it is become an internal language rather than an external language. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we are presented with energies that need to be moved for the effect of healing, um, we'll have like really intense emotion just wash over us. And when they were teaching me about how to work in the parallels, it was the same way an intensity out of the blue that just sent you reeling. And so we learned to work with those. But I'm finding that this earth work is the same. And um, we're all aware that earth is going through a birthing process. And so what I'm finding is um, as we go through the ascension and all of the spiritual initiations, our personal bodies become highly sensitized to planetary shifting, and highly sensitized isn't quite a strong enough word. Mm-hmm. And where we once had no memory or awareness that our body was holding extensive layers of planetary blockages, such as, you know, like the collective human pain or just all the distortions that humanity gets involved in uh many of us weren't able to fully heal ourselves until we do come to address the collective pain issues and so they gave us the tool of the breath work and in working with the mayan calendar as the foundation as we did for all those years and then working with um various what we call recipes of the language of light um we're able to facilitate these healings and and then what i noticed when i finally started realizing what they were trying to show me is through this breath work you're just able to release it and i the the one that comes to my mind most recently is i had a wave of some really deep depression type energies just a sadness that wouldn't go away and i i couldn't connect it to anything there was nothing going on in my personal life and so i went way back into the woods one day and i just sat for a while and then she she actually gave me a workshop that i'm going to be teaching that works with um this birthing process she's going through almost and they've called it midwiving forever and now it it makes more sense but so I, once i understood what was going on i just did this very simple breathing technique and it totally removed it so it's it seems like the learning never ends with this process and there's many times where <laughs> i find myself saying i'm pedaling as fast as i can mhm and um, there's been many other times where I really wish there was some kind of manual or handbook or something. I think something. you're supposed to be writing it, lady. Is that you? I mean, you're the one who's receiving it. You've got to write uh, the manual. I hate to say that. <laughs> and I am, am not quite ready to hear that. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I know there's a book coming, and there's times where I wonder what it could be about because – with all these processes that we've been through all these years, once you're through the process, it's really hard to remember what you just healed, what you just took care of. On the other hand, of <clears throat> the planetary healing, 
this began to happen way before I realized what was happening. And it seems as though once we do... There's so much to this, it's really hard to know where to jump in and begin. When we've been in a place and we've facilitated some healings, and the planetary healing also works through any planetary dimensional or parallel distortions that it works with us the same way as it works with a planet. And so what happens once we've facilitated that healing is there's always something really significant that happens that catches our attention. And the only way I know how to describe it is to be recognized fully by the earth is a gift beyond words and it's happened so many times to me that I'm not saying I take it for granted I'm still awestruck every time it happens but the consistency in the method helps me to realize it's part of the process and so this breath work I I would have never dreamed in my wildest dreams and I, I mean I understand breath work and how it is but this So the energy that we use in our breath work, which is our healing technique, is actually um, stems from the foundation that we began to use with the Mayan calendar and the early light language that came through. I'm noticing that um, in the first 12 years, I had a lot of language come through and Um, It doesn't come through as often anymore, but I'm getting ready to work with a round that has some new language to it, and it all seems to really be earth-orientated, and I I have to say ocean-orientated. Ocean ocean was a whole complete level in um, one of the three levels of language of light. And so I haven't I have a feeling that when I put together the videos of the photography of these light beings and the video I have a feeling these words are to be used with that video and or I also um have been guided to birth what we call pods and a pod is very simply a collage with the photography in it, and I have some um, collage mats that hold uh, one, two, three, up six or six or seven-ish photos, and I birth them for people, and they become well, they are a living entity that helps. It's almost like a personal recipe for that person for an ascension path. And as I mentioned, sometimes when this um, Ascension energy gets moving. It's all I can do to keep up with it. And as long as I breathe through it, no matter what comes up, as long as I breathe through it, I'm fine. And then I never have to deal with it again. And this last year has seemed to have been about very deep, dark, old skeletons in my family closet. And I've had some um, instances come up that as a family we had no idea of once I understood what had happened I could see how because of the incident it had affected us all profoundly and deeply and we never knew why and so it, they said that they their how would you say this their intention is to heal the individual and they began with us uh, the first year we worked a lot of past life stuff, and the next year they started talking about parallel realities. And I, at that time, I had no idea what it was. I just knew that when I was working on people, what used to come through as some past life imprinting that needed to be rectified, it wasn't past life anymore. It was parallel life. And when you look at parallel lives, it uses a different part of your brain, and it's rather uncomfortable. 
And mm-hmm. so they worked with me so. with, par- excuse me? I said, I would think so. Yeah, it, you know what, one of them feels vertical and the other one feels horizontal. And it was yeah. like I was using a muscle in my brain that I had never used before. And so... Um, and let me say that there are all these parts of the brain that different people don't, they, they've always said, well, we're not sure exactly what this is for and we're not sure how this mm-hmm. is used. And mm-hmm. the same with the DNA, all that. Yeah. Most of it is junk, so-called DNA. Right. Those are the multidimensional aspects of us. And when you use right. a part of your brain you've not used before, it's got to feel weird. Exactly. That was my experience. <laughs> and, yeah. and the thing with the parallels versus maybe saying a past life pattern is there so intense and um the emotions are so intense mm-hmm. um i remember quite a few times after i made it through the other side of the healing episode that i was not ready to deal with another one and didn't even want to think about a parallel issue for quite a while yeah and um, you know here's here's the thing i'm that I keep, I do work with, I've been working with past lives with people for about 20 years also doing past life readings so that they can heal them because once they hear mm-hmm. about it, it helps heal. Right. And they don't feel it as intensely, but they can still heal it if I'm doing the reading. But what happens uh, is that um, the parallels and the past are really, from the point of view of an, a more ascended point of view, a, a more expanded consciousness, is that it's all simultaneously. Space and time are only mm-hmm. illusions because we're on a spinning planet. Mm-hmm. So we're, we work everything we do on all the, with all those other parts, the past, the parallels, and sometimes even future lives, um, affects us. And everything we work do working on ourselves affects all of them. It's so amazing to the extent that it affects you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're so all-encompassing, it's just mind-boggling, and it really makes you understand that your life is not your own. And I, a long time ago, you know, everybody was saying, well, we have free will. I became a disbeliever in that an awful long time ago because I believe that as long as there's patterns running, and we all have that until we work on it, mm-hmm. there's a pattern running. You have no free will. You are mirroring that pattern yeah, yeah. It's really hard to uh, come from who you truly are if you're repeating an old past yeah. from a past yeah. life, from your own childhood, or whatever. There are a couple of questions on the um, on the chat. One of them wants to know what Indian tribe do you belong to, or do you live with? I have lived with the Tulalip tribe, which is a tribe that's a little bit north of Seattle on the coast mm-hmm. for. Um, a little over 30 years, and I've been in and out of here a few times, but as we speak, I'm on the reservation again, but I'm planning to head back up to Alaska soon. I've also lived up in Alaska almost uh, 10 of those years. When I was very young, um, this is how it, well, you know, there are no mistakes, but in this lifetime, I, when I was two years old, for some reason, besides the memory of coming in and just not wanting to be here. When I was two years old, my body had hardly any blood in it, and I was dying. I have a very rare blood type, and um, my family was really good friends with another family who were native, and they were from the Gravant tribe out of Montana, and that's where we lived at the time, and so um, they couldn't. They didn't have um, blood banks then, mm-hmm. and so they were trying to find somebody that could donate some blood, so I could live. And so the gentleman that donated blood to me was a full-blooded Gravant man, who also died of alcoholism. And in my own life, I have not been. Um, alcoholic but a lot of people I know have been alcoholic and that's what led me to get into later understanding alcoholism and then going into addiction counseling which I've done for 20 years so that's my history with natives 
there's one other question that um, someone has asked, and she said, are you, uh, do, do you agree with Incan shaman prophecies that the human race is evolving through genetic alteration from Homo sapiens to Homo luminous? Um, yes. I agree with that. And I, yes. Yeah, I think um, most people... And I like the terminology, and it, isn't yeah. it Albert Valoldo's terminology? Yeah, I think Valoldo yeah. Yeah, says... But I'm not sure who started that terminology, but I think he says that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely believe it. And, you know, I have to say that somewhere I have a memory of where all this leads. They really haven't unveiled it to me yet, and so I just continue putting one foot in front of the other, not really sure where it's going, you know, I there's certain people's channelings that they lead me to that give me pieces of information that also correlate with my experiences and um, the channeling that I've done over all these years. And I still can't really come up with an answer. They say that we are becoming luminous or... Mm-hmm. You know, moving into light body, I think we, you know, that seems to be the common denominator. And so what I want to know is what does that really look like? And Mm -hmm. so in my body, um, ever since the photography began to show up, it's been every year, and it seems to last a year, I have something going on with a part of my body, and it's pretty painful. And Mm -hmm. I don't really go to doctor's. Um, it seems like it lasts a year and then it's gone and it'll move into something else. One other common thing that has happened since the photography began is that for a full year, there will be a common theme of a type of mythological energy. Uh, There was a year where we we had a lot of fairies show up in the photography and you could really – palpate the fairy energy around you. The communications were from fairies. The next year it was dragons for a year. Mm. And this year it's back to fairies again. And I can almost see a unicornish type flavor. And so I am also aware that part of what this language is doing and the intent, and I would imagine the light beings as well, is to heal the mythological realms. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and even even in the language, you know how sometimes people will bring light language through and they're able to interpret it and give you an idea of what it means? Mm-hmm. Never, never, never has that happened here. <laughs> the words are, um, they're not simple words, and it's quite, it's um, it's a challenge to, become familiar with them and it took us a while to realize that this language of light was actually a conscious aware language which points towards an entity and so now that we've got about 16 years under the belt we in using the early language we call these light beings here from very, very far away. And so they appeared in my photography in 2005. It was actually August of 2006. Two years prior to that, um, I was flying back from (laughs) a really grueling time in Honolulu where I um, went through the Coast Guard class and I got my Merchant Marine card because I was contemplating working on a cruise line. And so, um, and I was 50 years old at the time, and so I was flying back to Kodiak and I was so exhausted. Oh my gosh, I was so tired. And I was sitting there and the stewardesses were talking to me about what I'd been through because it wasn't a happy story. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I hear a voice plain as day as somebody sitting right next to me, and they said, watch the skies for outrageous beauty. 
And so whenever they speak to me like that, they they mm, there's a vibration that I'm so familiar with that I know it's them. And so on a napkin, which was the closest thing I could grab, I wrote it down. I had no idea what they were talking about. And so it took, um, let me think, I came back in June, and the photography began in August. But um, a friend of mine was... Um, reading through some of the old channelings, and in November of 2004, she found a place where they had said that orbs were going to appear. And I remember at that time when I read it, I barely knew what orbs were, and I didn't really have any interest in it, and I didn't, it did not stick in my memory. And then all of a sudden, in 2006, I have all this kind of photography coming through, and I was, I was so stunned. It still amazes me what comes through. And so then I I needed to know more in my mind, which has been an interesting journey because these orbs are not for your mind. Um, and so I we went to an orbs conference down in Sedona just trying to learn some more. And what I found is most everyone's pictures there were of a different type of orb and still the common experiences that people would have resonated with the experiences I was having. And so it's it's been a hard learn. I had to learn really early to just get my mind out of the way. It is not for the mind. Um... So then the issue of lens flare came up, and while I'm always open to anything, I really pursued the avenue that it was lens flare and <clears throat> agreed that my life would be a lot simpler if it was just lens flare. <laughs> and so I um, asked them if they would show me if if they are real to show me something, and if it's lens fair, that would be fine with me because I could just put it in the drawer and walk away. Well, it's not lens flare. And so I began to speak to them. They began to correspond. And I would think the first three months when I was taking photography, um, this thing that is it real, is it not real, really was bouncing around in my mind. And then for some reason, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before, but for some reason, and this was a new camera for me, I decided to take some video of them and they move. And so as soon as I saw the video where they they move, and when they move, I want to say they pulse, which is a dimensional trait, and they they pulse and they seem to touch each other really gently and we call it um a blessing when we watch them do that there seems to be a list of players and um they all seem to have their own roles there's been times where I, when we went to the orbs conference there was one of the scientists there that um really put some doubts into my mind. And so we, um, the next morning before we went back to the conference, I was out in the woods and I was taking some shots. And um, there's one that shows up in particular who in his basest hmm, form looks really similar to a flying saucer or he looks really similar to an eye. Sometimes he looks really similar to a northwest coastal native art design, the type of eyes they use. And so um, so if you have a circle and you have, I guess, an eye shape around it, um, I was this is the particular one that had showed up that morning, and I was kind of saying, you know, these guys have kind of planted a little bit of doubt in my mind, and um, if you can show me something to prove they're not right, I'll go that route, and if not, I'm fine with that also. 
and so at that point, and this happens quite often when I'm taking pictures, I'll get really hot, which is an increase in frequency. Yeah. And so I had a sweatshirt on, and so I took my sweatshirt off and set the camera down, took my sweatshirt off, and then I picked the camera back up, and the very first picture that I took, this particular eye shape had taken its sweatshirt off, and the only thing that was visible was the the round part. And so there, I've learned over time that they know exactly what is going on with me. Um, there was another time where I had taken pictures for a friend of mine up in Alaska, and there's a state park right beside where they live. And I knew she spent a lot of time there, but that was about all I knew. So I was, I was almost at the end of the photo shoot. And in one of the orbs, there were, there's also some black energy that shows up, deep black, that shows up sometimes in the photos. In this particular photo in the orb, there were two black lines that were in perfect shapes of horseshoes, well, I, I didn't know it was horseshoes at the time. I just noticed it was such a, mm, an odd thing. So when I was showing her the pictures, when she saw that picture, her, we always call it eyebrows on the ceiling because that seems, you know, we've just, this pathway has been so astonishing. So we're both sitting there looking at each other with just awestruck, and she said that when I was a kid, I used to ride my horse in this park in this very spot, and I used to jump my horse there. Well, there was no way I knew that, but they were showing that they knew that about her. Wow. And so it's always been like that, and that has happened so many times. And, you know, I hear a lot of people speak about they think that some of these orbs, and I'm not saying they're not, but I just would like to interject a thought that, I know a lot of people think that that's their loved one who has passed on. They're, it's them, or it could be a, a baby that's coming in, which is po- they're all possibilities. But I wonder if they're not just showing that person that they know that about them, and they're showing them that they know that fact about them. I've had that happen to me so many times. Mm-hmm. And I'm so not sure, I'm not sure that the orbs are are necessarily a baby coming in or or someone who's passed over to the other side. But I think that our being able to see orbs is very much the next step in seeing a whole lot more, and that the orbs are representing yes. um, uh, a first step in seeing into the multidimensional space where we can see yes. all kinds of light yes. beings. And yes. this is just the beginning. I mean, a lot of us have seen them um, in the living room. You right. Know? You know, and in my own experience, I, you know, I've had so many people ask me what orbs are, and I can only speak of my own experience. And my experience ties in to 16 years worth of working with a light language, not to mention the Mayan calendar that we used. I, for the first three years, we were working with the language and the calendar always. Then it got to the point where we had assimilated both frequencies and we didn't need to do that anymore. But it's, you know, so I I have a hard time answering people's questions like that because this experience seems to be a little beyond orbs. But what I know, and I haven't done a lot of work with this yet, I know it's coming up, what I know about this frequency is that they are portals and they are here to work with humanity and what they when we put ourselves inside one of the orbs um, and you know all of us that have done meditation for how many years we have all these ideas, all these techniques that we can do, and that's how they will teach you what they're here for. I believe they are portals into these other dimensions, and they can also be used for travel. Um, I believe one of the main purposes of these particular orbs is that when we begin to interact with them, they take us home. 
we're all from different places, different universes, but it's still home, and they have the capacity and the intention to take us there. And then when we, when we go there, what they have us do is breathe. And we, we breathe their frequency in, but we don't exhale anything from earth. We exhale that frequency and anchor it into our body. And so I've been working with that process for, I don't know when I began. And so um, I don't do it every, there's times I'll do it every day for months on end. And then I stop for a while for whatever reason. And there have also been a couple times where as wild as this is and as amazing as this is, sometimes I get really frustrated as a human being in not knowing where this is going and not knowing exactly what it is that's going on. And so one of the byproducts of doing this work is that the this is still new to me and it's still pretty wild. These orbs are in my hair. And the way I discovered this was a, a couple months ago. There's been so many times when they want me to take pictures that um, I'll be doing something in the house and all of a sudden I find myself standing outside with a camera in each hand and they impulse me to go outside and I usually do. And so this particular day I was way, way back in the woods on the reservation here and all of a sudden the camera turned and pointed towards my hair and I thought, my first thought was, I hope nobody comes walking down the trail. <laughs> the second thought was, what the heck? And so I just went along with it. And so when I got home, and I had no idea what was they were trying to show me at the time. And so when I got home, I unloaded them on my computer. And so I'm looking at them, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And so then I started enlarging them a little bit. They're not the exact same orbs that show up in my other photography. These seem to be a more finite and definitely pastel colors. And so I've taken pictures of my hair probably under a dozen times, and I'm still going through the pictures and looking at this light in my hair. And my hair uh, turned white many years ago. And so... I, you know, my mind tries to rationalize it away. Well, maybe it's just something with white hair and all these things. But what I know is they are in my hair. And I'm going to be making a video when I finish um, going through and really looking and seeing what's there. I'll be making a video of it. But it has a whole different depth than these other orbs. And it's almost like it's, mesmerizing to look at <laughs> the orbs in my hair. Another thing I'm noticing is whenever I'm around people, it seems like there's always somebody coming up and touching my hair. Mm-hmm. And so like they I have, have no there, idea. But they, they can't really see them, but they sense that they're there. Because yeah. like you said, it's not about the mind. Yeah, it is so not about the mind. We've really overrated the conscious mind and I guess I probably ought to call it the rational mind, because our consciousness is everything. But the rational mind is not. It is highly overrated. There's a lot more going on. Exactly. Than what the conscious or rational mind can comprehend. Much more. And when we lay that down, it's a burden almost. We overthink everything. If we can lay that down and just respond to what we're feeling like we want to do, like touch somebody's hair. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just and go we, with it. Look at all the time better. we put into our mind, and our mind runs our lives. And what the, I'll say that's, you know, another byproduct of what has happened with working with this format is, hmm, how do I say this one? I don't want to say I'm not emotional because that's not quite right, but I'm really solid and... I think um, 
the chicken the chicken or the egg came first with this I have no idea but I had some pretty heavy instances happen in my family a couple years ago and a year before that and I was able to navigate the whole thing um almost like nothing was going on and so that is how they showed me that those shifts had been made and even now I notice that I'm just the only way I can figure out, I'm neutral. I'm neutral with everything, and there's no judgment. There's just a neutrality. But in the early days, they always used to say, as a light worker, what is the quality of your service if you cannot handle chaos? If You know if that... Our, that's exactly what I've been working on lately is getting as neutral as I possibly can because we're not going to be able to do mm-hmm. what we need to do if we're mm-hmm. still reactive. Exactly. And without a doubt, that is a process. This has taken taken me through. And, you know, the, the learning with it is almost, it seems, non-ending. And I always crack the joke that you know, I'm married to this modality <laughs> because it's pretty time consuming but it, you know, and it's also one of the things that that I keep being told to to say here and this is not just for you but for a lot of people who are listening now and going to be listening in the future is if you're going through something and you think you're supposed to write a book later one way to do that is just make little notes on a scrap of paper date mm-hmm. it you know put what day it is what happened so that you can have your memory tweaked later and stick it in a shoebox in the closet Mm-hmm. And then later. I have, I have piles. I call myself the sticky queen because <laughs> <laughs> you mean the because, sticky notepad queen? Uh, yeah, uh, I have piles and piles of stickies that I have to staple together to keep that um, either experience or thought or teaching, and I just staple it together. And there, and a lot of times if I'm doing a workshop or Sometimes putting a video together, it'll often revolve around some of these sticky notes. So we the people that I teach, we laugh and we call them the sticky chronicles. <laughs> mm. But yeah, and that that seems to be the only way I can do it because what happens is, you know, if you were gonna tell a, a person a story about how powerful a parallel that is either trying to merge or is just really close to where we are here on Earth and it, the effect is what we call bleed-through. Um, I never, I guess I should say, rarely am able to understand that's what hap- is happening when it begins. Once you get into it a little bit and once you become aware of parallel energy, then I'll start taking some notes. But by the time the adjustment has happened, which is, hmm, when all this parallel stuff began, I wondered if we go in there and we do some shamanic type techniques with that soul aspect, you know, so what's really happening? What are we really affecting there? And so at that point, the language, the beings that I'm in communication with told me that they, and it, it's funny because at that time in my life, I had quite a few people approach me that wanted me to teach them, and they were all into battle. They were totally into this spiritual warfare, and I knew that wasn't what I was about. And so they, the consciousness explained to me that um, they don't do battle. They're definitely feminine. They don't do battle. They do batal. They explained batal as a feminine form of battle, and they use education. Ah. And they never force anything on anybody ever. It's kind of like... Um, I can't think of how to explain it. The quality of the draw, they 
offer education so that being can make a conscious choice in their life. They said that while this whole process is extremely complex, that we were the lucky ones because we get to deal with the simple end of it. And and so many times they'll say simple but very complex. And they always talked about one supporting the other. And even in the early days, I had no idea what they were talking about. And now I understand that as a soul pod or as a soul with thousands of aspects that are out there learning the experiences um, so it can contribute back to the soul, so the soul can evolve and move on. And so they... I'm losing my train of thought. So can I ask you a question about soul pods? Yes. Uh, is this like, for example, several incarnations that are part of you, like past lives, parallel lives, future mm-hmm. lives? Is that what you mean by soul mm-hmm. pod? Okay. Yeah, or even uh, more commonly, they term it soul aspect. Uh-huh. And so they they just explained that, you know, every soul has thousands of aspects, and and then they hmm, they would say that aspect has its own past lives, it has it, its own future lives, it has its own multitude of parallel lives, and even a parallel life will have its own past lives. And so it gets quite convoluted. Mm-hmm. You and, know, I'll tell you, there's someone else has talked about this same thing in, uh, in a book called Your Immortal Body of Light, Mitchell Gibson, and he was contacted by an aspect of um, uh, Metatron, and he says the exact same thing. And that they exist in cloud formations out in space. Well, that's interesting because yeah. in a lot of the photography, I'll have cloud formations show up. And I wasn't sure if it wasn't a type of plasma because I've seen orbs. I've seen there's a a blue orb that's pretty central, which is just an orb that's with me all the time. And I've seen it um, dissolve into a a mist. And then it will um, formulate itself and come out in an orb form again. And, you know, I have to say the thing, I don't have the answer to this yet. It's happened so many times I have to pay attention to it. But whenever I'm around water, they will literally go down into the water. The first time I saw them do that, I had to go take a two-hour walk. And it kind of freaked you out just a little bit? It freaked me out. I was standing... um, my dad has a houseboat in Seattle, and in the summer we always spend a lot of time there. And he had a pleasure boat tied up in front of the houseboat. And I was sitting on the back of this boat, and I had my camera out, and I was just seeing what was around. And so I'm taking some photos, taking some video, and um, I had never seen anything like this before, and I wasn't ready for it. And so... I'm taking a picture of the orbs, and they're doing, they're pulsing, and I'm just watching and being in the energy. And then they start lowering themselves, and they were getting close to the water, and so I'm still focusing the camera on them. And then before I knew it, they went down into the water, and I thought, oh, my gosh, did they go in the water? And so I'm standing up on the back of the boat, and I have the camera pointed down in the water, and you could see... And there's an one being, and I'm not positive it's a, I hope it's not a being because I've made some comments about it that probably weren't very nice. <laughs> but there was a orange energy, and it's usually in a, like a plasma type shape. I've also seen it feed on rays. And um, rays? What do you mean by rays? Of light? Um, yes. If if you watch the video, in the beginning, um, I have some pictures of what we call rays. I also know that these rays are the way that they come to the planet. They come down, they travel the sun's rays to get here. And there's ray these pictures. Orbs? Wait a second, you're saying these these orbs travel the sun rays to get here? Yes. Okay. That's important. Or, or they come in on the rays. That's what 
that's what I've been told and that's what I've seen. And there's there's pictures where you can see them. They get really small and they come in on these rays. Um, but anyway, this orange plasma, when I'm photographing it because it presents itself, a lot of times rays come down with it and you can watch it pulse up and it's as if it's feeding on these rays. Whether that's accurate or not, I'm not sure. But this this same orange plasma, when I was watching them go down into Lake Union, in the vid- I could not see this with my eye, but in the video when I watched it, this it's like they came down into the water, and then this orange plasma kind of shot out from underneath the boat, and it came underneath the orbs and it lifted them back up to the surface and then they just kind of bounced back up in the air where they were and then this orange plasma shot out into the middle of Lake Union and that was it. And at that point I had to go take a walk. <laughs> yeah, when I don't know if it's a vessel or a being. And what was interesting about that one is when it first began to show up in my camera lens, I could always see it, but it was it would always just hang around in one of the usually one of the lower corners of the lens, and it did it for three or four months. Well, next time you see it, say, "Hey, are you a vessel or what? What yeah. are you?" I, I haven't seen it in a while. There was another time. Um, I don't know. It may have been that same summer. Traffic was really bad in Seattle, and so I wanted to take some back roads and avoid it or kill some time, and I thought maybe I'll I'll just go find a place to take some pictures for a while. I had the most astounding pictures come from that day, and one of the things that happened that I had never seen before when this orange plasma was beginning to get a little more prolific in its activities is it ex expanded across my camera lens about halfway, and then it rolled up, almost like um, a fruit roll-up. I don't know what else to describe it to. And I've seen it do it a few other times since then. There was another time where this being that takes the shape of either a flying saucer or an eye, I was... Um, up in Alaska at the time, and quite a ways out into the wilderness. And all of a sudden, I have this feeling to start taking pictures, and so I did. And um, this particular saucer-shaped being usually moves. I don't. I don't know the scientific word. I, I want to say elliptical is. Is that from like side to side? Is elliptical well, like an ellipt- eye shape? Elliptical <clears throat> is like um, an oval, sort of. Okay. Yeah, it could kind that, of points, I suppose, at the corners. Yeah, well, that's a word I heard, so that's what I'm saying, even though I don't know what it well, means. They're telling you that's the word, then that's the word. Huh? I guess it is, and so yeah. usually it moves from side to side, almost like a pendulum swing. And so that particular day, it was, it wasn't. It started out doing that, and then it got where it was just kind of hanging in front of me. And so I had a sense that it wanted to come closer to me, and so I invited it to cut. I said, just get as close as you'd like. And so before I knew it, it, it slid underneath my feet and gave me a buzz in every cell of my body like I have never had. And then, it, it, I, I can't say it, it startled me, but not severely. But the instant that I began to feel kind of a startle feeling, it backed off. And they've done that all the way through. At any point, if I become uncomfortable for mm-hmm. any reason, they absolutely withdraw. And so that experience... Um, it was it was amazing. There's another story about something that happened that is really significant that also ties it into the Mayan calendar. Um, 
I, uh, somebody put on here elliptical equals egg shaped. Egg shaped. Bigger at one end than the other. But it's an oval that's larger at one end than the other. Mm-hmm. Which okay. is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so go ahead with your story. So I um, happened to go back to where I was born and raised and spent a year there. I'd been gone for 40 years. And so um, a couple friends of mine from Alaska came down with me, and we decided to have an an orbular adventure. So um, I had had a a normal day. In the Mayan calendar, because my birthday is very close to midnight, there's a great potential that... um, what would be my Mayan birthday, it's very possible that the day before could also be my Mayan signature birthday. And so I had just become aware of that, I would think, a couple months earlier than that. And so I began to explore. Um, what I had thought I was an Akbal energy. If this was true, it would mean I was also an Ik energy, which is spirit, which is also wind. It's also breath. And so I had been paying attention to just see if it resonated. Both of them really resonate, which I thought was interesting. Time's going by, time's going by. I'm doing my daily routines. It's time to go to bed at night. And so I go into my bedroom, and I'm laying down. And this particular place that we lived had some of the darkest nights I have ever seen. It was so incredibly black out at night. And so you can't even see your hand in front of your face. So I'm laying there a few minutes, and um, all of a sudden I see this orbs coming in my bedroom window, and it startled me so bad. I just, I jumped, and I realized that I was, mm, I was comfortable with seeing them through my camera, but seeing them come through my bedroom window above my sleeping space kind of rattled me. (laughs) So the second I was rattled, they went out the same way they came in. Hmm. And so um, the next morning when I got up, I I was telling my roommates, and we were kind of giggling about it a little bit. And so I realized I had to think about it for quite a, a while to really encompass the whole thing. When I was young, I was so afraid of the dark, and it it stuck with me for years. But what I realized was that I could see them when I was a child, and I'd often talk to my mom about it, and she would always say, there's nothing there, it's nothing, we'll leave the hall light on, just you know, go back to bed type thing. And so I had to do a little breath work about some childhood fears about being afraid of the dark or what I could see in the dark was more like it. And so I did the work. And so as the next night got closer, I was kind of laughing at myself because I could still feel a little bit of uneasiness about, you know, going to bed. Is it going to happen again? And so I um, sat in my room for a little while with a candle on. (laughs) Then I finally put the candle out, and I just kind of was laying there, and I was kind of watching, and they we came in again. One, one minute left. Oh, we do. Yeah. To to make that long story short, that happened on my Mayan birthdays. It w- happened on the night of Eek, and it happened on the night of Akbal, and so they were coming in as a birthday party for me. How cool, how cool. I want to be sure everybody knows where to go learn more about you. She's got material posted at pearly, P-E-A-R-L-E-Y, sky.com. I'm sorry, .wordpress.com, pearlysky.wordpress.com, and also YouTube, uh, Montana Night Sky. Right. And you can find those if you look at the description of today's show. They're down at the bottom if you didn't have time to write it down. I want to thank you so much for being here today. I love listening to you talk. It's just like all these new concepts, and and um, it's just really exciting. So thank you for being here with us today. And thank you for asking me, Lois. You're welcome. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.